you have a Bible, you can grab it, <clears throat> and we're going to uh, begin studying God's Word this morning. Let's just pray to start, and then we'll get into it. Father, every, every Sunday morning we come about the same time, 10.30 or so, and we open up your word, and um, I'm just reminding of, of how desperate we are to know you and to deepen our understanding of who you are and how you want us to live our lives. And I just pray that through the power of your spirit this morning that you would, you would enable that to happen. Keep our eyes on your son, Jesus. Keep us focused on what's important in life. Help us to discern how we live our days and to value each day, each moment, and to value our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> so we are continuing uh, the book of Ephesians this morning. And um, I spoke to a friend of mine last night. Karen and I went to... Um, an auction dinner at the school that I work at, and um, a friend of mine that knows a little bit about us mentioned that he was, um, or mentioned that we are going through Ephesians and how is that going, and, and I said, it's going great, I'm enjoying it, and, and he said, well, what are you talking on tomorrow, and I said, the, uh, the marriage section, and he kind of almost rolled his eyes and said, like, good luck, <laughs> and um, so we're going to give it a go, and um, <clears throat> Just to let you know, uh, you know, as far as like my personality and, and how I deal with God's word, I, I'm not um, afraid <clears throat> or intimidated or hesitant to speak the truth of God's word, regardless of what it says. There might be times when I'm tempted, but generally I'm just not. But my concern... What happens sometimes, and this is what I don't want to happen this morning, is that you take something minor and we turn it into the major, and it blocks everything else. Instead of getting the, the main point of the passage, you take one part of the passage and you allow that to distort the whole point of the passage. And so that's what I don't want to do. Uh, my hope is that we understand Paul's complete line of thought, and that we understand clearly um, what he's talking about in, with the topic of marriage. I think I mentioned this last week, but statistics are saying that marriage is in decline. Fewer and fewer people are getting married, that, that people just aren't into it as much as they used to. And, and there are a variety of reasons, but one of the reasons that comes up is that people, people feel that, that marriage puts an end to romantic spontaneity and that the fun of life is the romantic spontaneity. And, you know, the interesting part of that is that, and I'm going to try to push us to think clearly about all this kind of stuff, the interesting part of that is that when you begin a new relationship, it's almost purely based on ego. All right, and here's what I mean, and Karen and I were talking about this yesterday and kind of laughing about this, is that it's really cool when you find someone that thinks you're cool. <laughs> you're like, there's someone out there that likes me. It's actually kind of neat. 
And if you think they're attractive and, and, and smart and beautiful and, you know, whatever, that's even better. You feel good about yourself. That's why a guy can walk around with a pretty girl and have no feelings for her at all, but she, she makes him feel good about himself because other guys go, how did he get her? So he could care. He has no, no feelings at all about her. It's just about how he feels about himself and how other people perceive him. And it's almost equal to maybe the, the first kiss you have with someone. It's purely, the excitement is purely about how that makes you feel. And so uh, that mindset, if, if that's what grabs a hold of you, if that's what you're looking for, if that's what you need, if that's what you want to build your life on, your own pure ego, then marriage might not be the thing for you. And so as you, we try to look at cultural trends and we see that basically at the core of that is a deep self-centeredness. That people are never able to like truly grow up and, and understand what marriage is to be about, what life is to be about beyond just the surface things. I mentioned last week, and I think, Graham, if you hit the next slide with the C.S. Lewis point thing come up. I said last week that C.S. Lewis pinpoints pride as the core issue within all of us, men, women, equally, that prevents us from, from knowing God, knowing each other deeply, and hinders all relationships. And he, this is from uh, Mere Christianity. In fact, if you want to find out how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me or refuse to take notice of me or shove an oar or shove their oar in or patronize me or show off? And pride is the most um, erosive, um, divisive type attitude that you can have that destroys relationships. And I think one more slide. Is, I think I have one more quote from C.S. Lewis. The point is that each person's pride is, comp is in competition with everyone else's pride. Because I want to be the big noise at the party, and so I'm annoyed at someone else being the big noise. That is within all of us, to different degrees, to different levels. And part of, part of being a Christian, and we saw this in the, you know, the chapters one, through three, 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians, and I just want to read, wow, just went up. One key part of that is this. Uh, it says in Ephesians 2, 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, far off with pride, as Christians we were once all far off, but now because of the blood of Jesus we have been brought near to Christ. And so the question is, um, as Christians, what does... Christian marriage look like? What does it look like? Um, and this morning we're, we'll look at three things. We'll look at the foundation of marriage, <clears throat> the foundation of marriage, the essence of marriage, and the necessity of marriage. The foundation, the essence, and the, the necessity of it. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to read it. And um, I'll, I will tell you this. Um, before I read it. <clears throat> if you're single and marriage is on the horizon or you just wish it were, um, read this passage 
with a, a, a pen and paper and write down questions. There, you're going to find question after question after question after question about what marriage is to look like between a Christian man and a Christian woman. I am not going to answer all of the questions. In fact, I kind of changed my mind on how I was going to deal with this. So we're going to look at the whole chunk on marriage and just deal with it from up high. So if you have lots of questions about marriage, you can ask Brian and Karen Renner or the Stokers or someone else. No, I'm just kidding. You can ask, you can ask my wife. I mean. All right, so here it is. I'm going to read the part in the bulletin, but then I'm going to clarify more of it. So it says this, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's the word of God on the topic of marriage. Last week I mentioned that the first part about the role of the wife is is kind of like sticking your your head out the window when you're driving 80 miles an hour down the the highway and you get blasted by wind. And and it's kind of like that. So here's my dilemma. We've got single people, single Christians here probably. We might have single non-believing people that just aren't sure about Christianity. We've got married couples that are probably Christians, and we might have married people that aren't so sure about Christianity. So we've got a wide range. And so, um, like I said, I'm going to deal with it. Um, I'm not going to go verse by verse in the sense that I normally do, but we'll try to get the main idea. All right, so here is the main idea. The purpose of marriage, if you want to say, the overarching purpose of marriage is that it is a, it's a, it shows the, let me back up and say this, it shows the reality between Christ and the church. That marriage between man and woman is to be the visual aid of what, of what the relationship between Jesus and you looks like. And you'll see that all throughout the, the passage. The Christology, the over and over and over again, Paul refers back to Christ and the church. The foundation, 
The foundation of marriage, number one, here, here's the first thing. The foundation of marriage is this, <clears throat> is that it is a covenant, not a contract. The foundation of marriage is that it is a covenant, not a contract. 30, verse 31 through 32 says this, and this is covenant language. A man shall leave, and if you remember the old translation, it's leave and cleave. Here it says leave and hold fast to his wife. The idea of almost of the concept of glue, of, of welding, of being stuck together with your wife. And here's how Christian marriage is different than non-Christian marriage. The core aspect of covenant marriage is that, that while we all profess present love, covenant promises future love. A covenant marriage promises future love. While I am declaring my love for you today, it also says, regardless of life's circumstances, my commitment to you, my promise to you, is that my love today and in the future will be unwavering, that it will be constant, that it will be consistent, that it's not based on contract relationships. Contract relationships say, you break the contract, the contract is now null and void. There is a different, there is a different attitude, there is a different internal view of marriage based on God's word. It's a promise not of feelings and emotions and the feel-good times of the first kiss. It's a promise of future lifetime love, a love of, of tenderness, of kindness, of gentleness, regardless of the circumstances of life. I can remember when I was in my early 20s, and I remember hearing this guy share his testimony. It was a husband and wife. <clears throat> And the wife um, had gotten into a car accident, and her face was cut. And um, she was telling her story about how the first time she saw herself in the mirror after the car crash. And what she found out when she looked in the mirror is that when the surgeons, the, the plastic surgeons or the reconstruction surgeons, when they, when they fixed her face, they cut a nerve in her face by her mouth, and her her lip sagged a little bit for the rest of her life. And when she saw that, she was devastated. And she thought that her husband um, wouldn't, wouldn't want to be with her anymore because her smile was forever changed. And, and, and they went on to tell the story together of how uh, the first time when he went to kiss his wife after the surgery, that he, he kind of grabbed his lip and pulled it down to make his fit hers. And they kind of laughed and, and cried and, and giggled about it. This is many years later when they're telling their story. But the idea that this man showed his wife that it doesn't matter what your face looks like. I am promising. I'm making a covenant relationship with you. Future love, uh, a deep internal commitment that there's something different than just the emotional, fun, feel-good aspect to relationships. The model of this is Jesus Christ reaching out to you. That's what Paul wants, 
that is the point, the overarching point that I said earlier of this, that it parallels that it shows how Jesus reaches out and, and calls us and loves us and initiates relationship with us. In the same way, marriage is to be that example. Another way to think about it is this. Um, a covenant relationship is built and sustained by grace. And here's what grace says that's unique or different. It doesn't matter what you do, that I'm going to treat you better than you deserve. A covenant relationship, a covenant that's based on grace, a covenant companionship of marriage says, I will treat you better than you deserve. And that is exactly the gospel. We don't get what we deserve with the gospel. We get because Jesus gave and died. So number one, the foundation of marriage is that it is a covenant that's based on grace, that, is, that survives and thrives on grace. <clears throat> if you have your Bible, just turn to one, one place. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 27. This is what grace does. Luke 6, 27 says this, But I say to those who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. The one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other side also. For the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. The idea of treating people better than they deserve is the foundational attitude, the foundational aspect of covenant relationship within the Bible. The next thing I want to talk about just briefly is the essence of marriage. The essence of marriage is this, is that husband, husbands and wives are equal in value. Both genders are created in the image of God, but function with different roles to become one. The essence of marriage, two different people, equal value, equal in worth, both created in the image of God, but function with different roles to become one. And um, this, is, this is where it gets interesting and, you know, and funny and almost ridiculous sometimes. But let's, let's look at this just for a second. We'll start back in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And we'll spend just a few minutes on this, because otherwise we spend a lot of time on this. You're going to remember only this one part. That's what I don't want you to do. All right, here's, this is why this is hard. All right, this is, this is a few years old. But let me just talk about the, um, the role of women for a, a moment. Um, according to the Department of Justice, on average, three women every day are murdered by their husbands or intimate boyfriends. Three women every day murdered or uh, murdered by their husband or close boyfriend. According to the Department of Justice, they estimate that one in five women will experience rape or attempted rape, sexual assault during their college years. Less than 5% of those rapes will be reported. 
Those are staggering. That, that, should, that should, like, take your breath away. That, that that is the attitude that obviously many men have towards women. And so when we read something like in the Bible that says, wives, submit to your husbands, that makes me go, I need to think carefully about this. And what exactly is the Bible even talking about? That's in the United States of America. In Afghanistan, just a couple of examples. One girl was 15, took refuge with another family. They drugged her, forced her into prostitution. Another girl, 16, fell in love with her friend's brother and eloped with him. Another girl, kidnapped off the street by a stalker who decided he wanted to marry her. She turned him into the first policeman she saw. All of these women ended up in jail. All of these women that were abused, taken advantage of, um, sexually assaulted. Another woman ran away from her husband after he beat her. He threw boiling water on her face, gave her a sexually transmitted disease, and announced that he would marry his mistress. And she goes to jail, according to the New York Times, March of, uh, of this year. And so there... There is no doubt that there is a crisis in, in how women are viewed. And so there better be something, um, there better be something different about people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. And so we've got to understand this very carefully. And so let me, let me back up just a little bit and go to the role of the husbands before we uh, look back at the wives for just a moment. <clears throat> It says, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul is saying this, that Christian husbands, we follow the example of Christ. What did Christ do for the church? He died. He suffered. He did the agenda of his father. He put his own desires aside. And so Christian husbands are to die to their own desires. Christian husbands are to die to their own desires, to give up their own ego. Females here, may, maybe you guys know this already, but men have tremendous egos. We just do. We're, we're, we're easily impressed with ourselves. We like ourselves a lot. Um, the, the, the Bible talks about this. This is really interesting. We're to look at our wives, take care of our wives the way we do our own bodies. All right? Make sure that no one in here that's too young. All right? So look, number one, no one has to tell me that I like to sleep, that I like to eat, that I like to do, that, that, all, that I like and all guys like to do the thing that married couples do. Okay, no one gives me a text message and says this kind of stuff. I, did, I naturally have, I like to eat, I like to sleep. Those things come naturally. I naturally look out for myself. No one taught me that. No one teaches me. I don't get emails from my mom that say, go to bed, go to I, I'm really good at looking out for myself. All men are. All men here need to realize how we need to get honest about how deeply self-centered we are. And we need to be 
uh, honest about that and be willing to repent about that. If we are going to take honestly, sincerely, and realistically about Christian marriage, then it starts with the husband. Paul says the responsibility of the husband is to be the servant leader in the relationship. The responsibility starts there. That you are to put the preferences of your wife first. If you, if you ever have to, if you're married, and if you're not married, and you're going to be someday, if you ever have to tell your wife, you need to submit to my authority, you are an idiot, okay? <laughs> you're, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. You've already lost, okay? The game's over. It's over. And I'll say the same thing, though, too, for, for wives. If you have to tell, if, if we're, we're barking out these commands, and, and we're saying, the Bible says this, you've lost the respect. You're not functioning as a servant leader. You're not functioning the way the Bible says. It cannot be any more clear. And that's why, again, I said in the beginning, that marriage, even specifically for us guys, that our example is Christ. That he suffered an enduring, horrible death that was all about doing the will of the Father not doing what he wanted to do. Not my will be done, but the Father's will be done. And we see this, the purpose of this, we see that, that, that change happens in relationships. It says in verse 26 that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. When we understand, when men understand our role as servant leaders, transformation will happen when we understand that it's not about our own selfish desires. And I, I've been thinking you know, a lot about just how this functions and works out in, in, in the mar my marriage with Karen. And um, there, the general trend of our marriage is that we agree on just about everything. The general trend. There are times, and we talked about this, and well, I can laugh about it now because I asked her a couple days ago, uh, you know, if there's something that I ever did that she submitted to, even though she didn't want to. And I honestly was expecting her answer to be like, no, there's nothing. <laughs> and then we joked, and she like, like instantly said, um, you know, I bought this, my little red Toyota 4Runner. And, you know, in my mind, it was, like, really cheap. I had all the rationale behind it. But she was like, she did not think that was a good idea. But I just did it. And, but thankfully, and, and I, you know, our relationship is sustained by God's grace, and, and so she doesn't hold on to that. But my point is this, is that we are easily self-absorbed. Men are easily self-absorbed. And if you're going to be a Christian husband, Put this into practice now, what he's saying. The responsibility is on you. Husbands, love your wives. He says it over and over and over again, that we have that obligation. Um, that the process of living this out um, 
it just it takes time, and it, and it does work itself out if you make that the desire of your heart to be the servant leader, to give up your own ideas. The essence of marriage is that husband and wives are equal in value but function with different roles. Paul then goes on to say, Wives, your husband is the head. And the basic way to understand that, really, the most simple way is to understand that that the husband is to function as the leader of the relationship, the leader of the family. That's the bottom line, is that we are to do that. And I honestly believe, I think, I, I believe this with all my heart, that if men are loving their wives the way the Bible says, the wife will willingly allow that to happen. I believe they want that to happen. I was talking to my eighth grade girls uh, in Bible class this week about this, and I talk, we talked about the passage just a little bit, but as far as male leadership, and we talked about how, you know, if it's two in the morning and you hear a weird noise outside, I don't think any woman wants her husband to curl up in the fetal position, pull his head over the blanket, and kick his wife out of bed and say, go check out what's happening. Okay? You want a man to take leadership, go out, and protect. All right? That's, that's the function that men are to be servant leaders, that you're to protect, that you're to be masculine, that you're to do that. And when that is done the way the Bible says, it will work itself out in a natural way, um, in a respectful way where a woman will want to honor her husband. It's the key component of our marriage. The essence of marriage is that husbands and wives are equal in value, but function with different roles. Um, just one quick comment or example about this kind of stuff. If you are if you're married and opportunities for disagreement come up, whether it's going out to dinner or to buy a car or, or not, or what color maybe of car is a better example instead of buying a car, what color of car. Um, men, <clears throat> the Bible says, according to the Bible, we should defer to our wives, that you are to give preference to your wives. And honestly, that's, that's learning, men, it's learning about to be considerate, being considerate, being thoughtful of what your spouse wants, what their desires are. <clears throat> and the problem is what happens often is men um, pick fights over the most ridiculous things or they assert their, <clears throat> their desires over their wives over the most ridiculous thing. And I can honestly tell you that as far as how this works itself out in our relationship, there, both of us, <clears throat> with each other are, are pretty relaxed. If Karen wants something bad, then I'm like, absolutely. And if I want something bad, you know, as far as like what restaurant to go to, we don't fight about that kind of stuff. We, do, we just don't. And let me give you an example of this. I talked about this last week. Chapter 5, verse 21 says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ that there is to be a part of just normal human relationships where you're like giving preference to someone else. 
that you're not fighting over everything, that you're learning to be considerate into what other people think. Paul, Paul says, and I'll finish up with this part as far as husband leadership, to be the husband, to be the husband-servant leader means, let me back up and say this, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you're the boss. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you make unilateral decisions, that you just make choices on your own, you don't consider your spouse or your wife. It doesn't mean that you're demanding or self-centered. All the things that naturally come to men, that's what it doesn't mean. That's what it doesn't mean. The necessity for marriage, the, the necessity for successful marriage living, we'll back up. And here's the main point. If you look at this in the original language, you'll see that the primary command goes back up to verse 18. And the overall command of, of this chunk of passage is this, is to be filled with the Spirit. The, the, the necessity for marriage success is that you are filled with the Spirit. And here's what this does. This turns, this turns your head knowledge about Christ into heart knowledge. That when you read a passage passage that says being a Christian is, uh, or I should say a key component of being a Christian is self-denial. You can do that. You're able to do that. You can't, if you're just living your Christian life on head knowledge alone, that just fades away. Here's another way to say this. Whether we like it or not, I believe this to be true. We are not purely rational people. We are desiring people. We like to think of ourselves as rational, clear-thinking people. That might be partially true. But deeper than that, we are desiring people. And here's what I mean. All the guys can think about this quite easily. We're clear, rational. We do things. We'll do something. And then we'll be like, why did I, just do, why did I do that? Okay, pick your topic. Alcohol, food, porn, whatever it is. Why did I just do that? Okay, why did I just eat the third hamburger? Because I desire hamburgers more than a clear-thinking person. Okay, I'm sorry, that's like one that fits for me. Why do guys look, why do Christian guys look at porn? When you ask them, clear, rational thinking, they would say, I don't want to do that. The desires deep within us push rational, clear thinking out the window. The only way you have a healthy marriage is when you are filled with God's Spirit. Those two things, rational and desire, become one. And you more clearly see what it means to follow Jesus. That is what's most clear. That's what's shining most brightly. As the sun is shining right now and the stars are still there, you can't see the stars. They're there. The sun is shining more brightly. When Jesus shines more brightly, when truth shines brightly in your life, you begin to function as a Christian marriage. And I want to say this again. 
and this is, I don't believe this is my opinion, I believe this is scriptural, that man, you have the responsibility before God to care for your wife, to be tender, considerate. And here's one of the things that, that I, um, I struggle with the most probably. And you can learn from this, you guys that aren't married yet. And that is probably my tone of voice. I, it, I can say something, but if my tone of voice is harsh, whether it's to Karen or to the boys, it's dishonoring to God. And it hurts. It hurts little boys. It hurts wives. It hurts children. I am responsible before God, before my wife, my family, before you guys, to treat my wife, my boys, the way the Bible says. To love in a self-sacrificial way. And we need to be reminded of this over and over again. If we are considering ourselves and calling ourselves Christians, we need regular filling of God's Spirit to see clearly how He wants us to live. That empowering will happen to do that. Last week I said, marriage is not ultimate, but God is ultimate. And I believe that there are lots of single people here this morning, and so I don't want you to think that marriage is the ultimate thing in life, but I do believe that marriage has to be a priority for clear understanding for Christians because statistically, the majority of people get married and it is a representation of the covenant relationship of grace. If you're single, someday you'll get married. God is calling you to future love, to a covenant of grace, to treating your spouse better than they deserve. <clears throat> I had one more thing I want to share, and I just forgot it, so, and it's not in my notes. So we're going to pray, and we're going to worship, and, um, and I'll just pick up on this a little bit more next week, and, um, but then also talk about responsibility of parents and, uh, and being to our, our children. Let's pray, and, um, and we'll conclude. Father, I just pray this morning that as we, as we see your word, I pray that there would be a, a renewed desire uh, among the men in our church to love our wives uh, in a kind, considerate, gentle way. And I pray for the single people here that uh, if marriage is on the horizon that they would deeply understand in their heart that the foundation of marriage is a covenant relationship, that the essence is equal yet different, valuable, because we are made in your image. And I pray that we would have the energy and the power to have healthy marriages because we are filled with your spirit day by day to see the truth of the Christian life that we are called to look to the interests of others before ourselves. Father, I just pray that as we conclude in worship that this would be a place where healthy relationships are, gro- are taking place 
where growth is happening, where we are learning more deeply what it means to follow you in every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.